Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beej, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. This episode was sponsored by the PVS Studio team. It promotes static code analysis methodology in general and its PVS Studio tools in particular. Static code analyzers allow you to find bugs in source code at the development stage. This helps to reduce the price of fixing them. PVS Studio performs code analysis and issues warnings on the fragments of code with a high probability of having bugs and potential vulnerabilities in them. The tool supports C, C++, C Sharp, and Java, and it can work with Visual C++, GCC, Clang compilers, and some of those used for embedded systems. The analyzer works on Windows, Linux, and macOS. PVS Studio can both be used as a standalone tool and integrated with Visual Studio, IntelliJ IDEA, SonarCube, and so forth. In the show notes, you can find links to the PVS Studio website and the article, Technologies Used in the PVS Studio Code Analyzer for Finding Bugs and Potential Vulnerabilities. Sleep can be an elusive mistress sometimes. We all have those nights where no matter what we do, we just can't seem to fall asleep. Looking at the clock, calculating how many hours until we have to get up just makes it worse. In this episode, we're going to talk about sleep and provide some insights, tips, and tricks to falling asleep faster, getting better quality sleep, and getting more out of less sleep. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Lots of stuff. I've been doing a ton of writing. I'm still between jobs. I went to a former employer's place of business and basically stayed there all day on Monday kind of talking about some things that he's got coming down the pipe. I'm supposed to be hearing about that. I have had so many interviews. I have like a spreadsheet where I'm keeping track of where I am with different companies. There's a few that are really interesting to me and a lot of them not so much. So I've been going through all that. Man, I forgot how much I hated the interviewing process (laughs) because like your day is all chopped up and you can't figure out what the next thing is. I have some really good leads, so I suspect something will present itself pretty soon. I've also been lifting every single day because as it turns out, when you don't quite have enough to do, that's something that you know is right here close. I don't even have to walk up the steps. So I've gotten some deadlifts on. You know, finally I've like doubled down on all my learning stuff. So I'm brushing up on Angular. I more than doubled the amount of time I'm spending learning Russian just because my phone is right here. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's actually been busier than it was when I was employed. Not surprised. Yeah. Because you kept putting things off when you were employed because you had that stuff to do. And now you're like me. You're like, all right, I can set this aside. I can set this aside. And now that you've got time, you're starting to pull things in. Yeah. I mean, I did stuff like I replaced, you know, like a light fixture that had been broken since March. Mm Mm-hmm just up and did stuff like that. So it's good. It's just getting me, I'm getting a little bored, I guess is the best way to put it. So how about you? Well, I've been working with integrating OIDC in a .NET Core app. We've got the authentication working, but now I'm trying to get it to 
pass in the roles correctly. I've been moving between working in .NET Core and working on the auth server. I'm not quite sure what I did, but I ended up creating an infinite loop and crashed the server the other day. Yeah, it happens. That wasn't fun. (laughs) At least it was dev and not prod. (laughs) Yeah. In better news, one of my photos was used in the church's social media. That was really exciting to see. I actually almost spilled my lunch because I was flipping through my phone while I was sitting at the table eating and just got super excited about it. Uh, I'm looking forward to tomorrow night. We're having an event and I get to be one of the photographers. So I'm told one of the things that I need to focus on is being invisible. Unlike most photographers that I know, I like being seen. I didn't know that about you. No, no. That's like the time some of my friends were talking about being introverted. And I walked up and said, I'm an extrovert. And they're like, we know, BJ. (laughs) Yeah. In musical news, I've been practicing with a metronome. And I actually attempted to play along with a track the other day. It went about as poorly as expected for my first time. But, you know, you got to start somewhere. So it was a good starting point. And I just need to need to work on that. I want to get good at playing with a track before I try to play with other people. So speaking of starting somewhere, let's get started with the book this month. So since when we're recording this, Will's book has just come out. I know by the time this airs, it'll have been out for a little bit. We're talking about Surviving the Whiteboard Interview, a developer's guide to using soft skills to get hired by none other than our very own William Gant. Say hi to the folks at home, Will. I can see here in the show notes that you don't have a copy of the book either. Yeah, right. <laughs> they still haven't sent me mine. Like Dave messaged me and he got his copy. And I'm like, I don't have one. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure what happened there. Dave went and bought his copy. I'm waiting for you to get your author copies and give me one. Yeah, that's the thought. I think I get like five of them or something, supposedly, if they ever show up. So since I don't have a copy of the book yet, we do have the author right here with us. So what better way to learn about a book than to talk to the author himself? Okay. Well, you started the book off talking about the problems with whiteboard interviews. Tell us a little bit about those problems and kind of the direction you went with the first couple of chapters there. Well, the big thing is that hiring developers is broken. I've been going through this and I've gotten, you know, yet another peek under the covers that I didn't really want for the whole job search thing. And the way companies evaluate developers has always been really bad as far as determining what somebody's skill level is. And most of them have settled on the whiteboard because that's the easiest horrible solution out of all the horrible solutions. And so the point of this book is to try to prepare developers so that when they get into a whiteboard interview, they can crush it. Mm-hmm. My goal here is you know, twofold. One is to help developers be able to do that. And the other is to make the stupidity that is the whiteboard interview no longer viable so that it goes away and dies. That makes sense. I like that. Though I do kind of enjoy whiteboards, I don't enjoy the interviewing part of them, but they're really great for getting ideas out in a group. And I don't mind the whiteboard interview that much because I've done it so much. Plus, I wrote a book on it at this point. I think I'm almost exempt. Yeah, that makes sense. So since you're already uh, 
giving us some information. Tell us who's talking to us this week. We got an iTunes review from Colby in Top 100 saying, Great listen. I've been listening to this show for a few months now. Will and BJ are both really cool guys, and I appreciate the passion they both have for software development. They're both very intelligent and have big personalities. I'd recommend this podcast to anyone, newbie or even senior dev. Thank you. We have a lot of fun making the show, and we do have big personalities. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing really you could say other than agree. Yeah, (laughs) I can't elaborate on that one. That's uh, everybody knows how we are. Yeah. Send us an email to waterbottle at completedeveloperpodcast.com with your contact information because we've got a complete developer water bottle just for you. Guys, if you'd like your very own complete developer water bottle, leave us a review in iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all of our episodes to Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We're also on Instagram and Tumblr. You can join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Getting enough sleep at night plays a major role in your mental, physical, and emotional health. How you feel when awake is directly influenced by how well you're sleeping. When you're asleep, your brain is processing information and preparing for the next day. Your body is also processing and regulating hormones and other chemical production that keep you active and healthy during the day. Sleep is divided into REM or rapid eye movement, and that's not REM the band, and in REM or NREM or non-rapid eye movement. The REM sleep is sort of deeper sleep where you're dreaming. And then sleep is further subdivided into four stages with uh, REM being stage four and non-REM being the first three stages. Stage one is the lightest of the stages and can be easily disrupted, causing you to wake up. If you think about a manual transmission automobile or motorcycle, Stage one is kind of like first gear. You really only use it when you're getting going or stopping. So you really only hit stage one when you're falling asleep or you're waking up. Stage two is the first real stage of non-REM sleep. It's harder to be woken up in this stage and brain activity starts to slow down and you start to see some of the typical EEG signs of sleep body temperature also begins to decrease here too. Now, this would be like second gear, where you really start to pick up speed and you do move along in second gear. Stage three is known as deep non-REM and is the most restorative stage. It is difficult to wake up in this stage, and this would be like your higher gears on your manual transmission. And the final stage is REM sleep or stage four. Your brain is most active during this stage of sleep. Being woken up here can leave you feeling groggy and still tired for an hour or so after you wake up. And going along with the analogy, you can think of this as your top gear, your cruising gear. So on my motorcycle, this would be the fifth gear, four up, one down. Gotcha. So of course that brings to mind the whole thing about, you know, what gear you shift into when the car backfires, but that's another discussion. Now, you can think of a night sleep cycle as kind of like a trip in a manual transmission vehicle. I like this analogy a lot. You start off in stage one to get rolling, but you don't really come back to it. Then as you get going toward the interstate, you move through the stages up to REM sleep. 
but you have to slow down for traffic and lights. So you spend less time in REM early on in the night, moving between it and stages two and three. Later on, you make it to the interstate and you can get up to your cruising gear and spend most of the latter part of the sleep cycle in REM with occasional slowdowns to stage three, maybe stage two. So this metaphor does not extend to Nashville traffic. Then as you approach the end, you get off the interstate and move between stages two and three until you eventually reach the end of the journey and pass back into stage one. A typical REM cycle going from stage one down to REM and then back up is about 90 minutes. The more of these 90-minute cycles you have consecutively, the more time you spend in REM. So when I was in medical school, we used to actually time our sleep to get two REM cycles. We would give ourselves a buffer of about 15 to 20 minutes before, 15 to 20 minutes after. And so we'd get three and a half hours of downtime, or three hours of actual two 90-minute cycles. And that way you would get two good REM cycles in. Our bodies have an internal clock that tells us when to get tired and when to be awake. This is mainly controlled by hormones, kind of chemical balances. Higher levels of certain hormones like melatonin make us sleepy. Other hormones wake us up. This clock is highly influenced by the daylight cycle, meaning that night workers and those in areas with little light have to be conscious of their light intake during the day or during their waking hours. In this episode, we've got a few tips to help you get a better night's sleep and be refreshed so that you can get more done during your day. What we've just talked about was sort of some background information going into these tips so that we can reference it as we go along. We're going to talk about how to set yourself up for sleeping success, getting more out of less sleep, and some common things that we don't typically think about when we can't fall asleep. The first thing that you need to do is you need to set yourself up for a successful night's sleep. One thing that you can do is to cool your room down to create an atmosphere that promotes sleep. That's like the last thing I do at night is I crank the air conditioner down. I turn it on 65. That's a little lower maybe than it absolutely has to be, but you know, it discourages my daughter from coming downstairs. It's great. <laughs> nice. Most of us enjoy being under a warm blanket in a cool room. It's comforting and relaxing. And like Will, I have separate daytime and nighttime settings for my thermostat. Body temperature is a key part of regulating your internal clock. Your body temperature affects your circadian rhythm, so you get cooler as you fall asleep. This kind of matches the nighttime and daytime cycle of life anyway. The temperature drops at night. You want to be slightly cooler than is comfortable to make it affect your body. The goal here is to help the process along by artificially cooling yourself down. The National Sleep Foundation recommends setting your thermostat to between 60 and 67. So, Will, you're right on. This tells me I could set it lower. Yeah. And for our metric friends, around 15 to 20 degrees Celsius. Now, they also suggest taking a warm shower before you go to bed, you know, because not everybody has good control of the thermostat where they live. For instance, people that live with me. <laughs> <laughs> a way to get a similar effect to a cool room is to take a warm shower or bath. And if you do this about an hour or so before you plan to go to bed, the change from the heat of the shower to the cooler room will start the process of cooling the body down. Rapidly decreasing temperature can slow metabolism and prepare you for sleep. You can make showering part of your nighttime 
ritual or routine. The funny thing is for me, showers tend to wake me up. Yeah. See, I take one at night. Yeah. And so it's one of the things that knocks me out. That's the way a lot of people are. It's because ever since I guess I was in junior high school, I've always taken showers in the morning. And so I just associate a shower with waking up. If I need to stay up later than I normally do, I'll go take a shower. You know, 10, 15 minute shower and I can stay up for hours longer. Shoot, if I take one in the afternoon, it'll knock me out. (laughs) A lot of people are like that. Another thing you can do is to move your clock so that you can't see it from your bed. Or just have bad eyesight. Oh, there is that too. It's like, ah, it's blurry. So it's nighttime. Like that's about what I can tell from my clock. (laughs) A lot of times if you can't sleep, you'll be constantly checking your bedside clock. Thinking if I get to sleep now, I'll still get six, five, four hours before I have to get up. It's a bad habit. But it's something that's easy to fall into, you know, when you have insomnia going on. Mm Mm-hmm. It also adds a lot of stress. I mean, this increases your stress level and that worry about sleeping makes it harder to fall asleep. Yep. So what you want to do is just hide or move your clock so that you can't see it from the bed. Another thing to do for setting up your environment is to listen to relaxing music before bedtime. Music can improve your ability to fall and stay asleep. Several studies we'll have them listed in the show notes, have shown that sedative music promotes deeper sleep. Music with a slow rhythm, 60 to 80 beats per minute, can improve your sleep. A lot of people like to use classical music for this. Yeah, I don't think Flight of the Valkyries is probably the best choice, but (laughs) there's plenty of other stuff. I don't use music. My wife has like this storm recording. So it's like thunder and lightning and rain. And if she plays that, if I want to stay awake, I have to put headphones in because it will knock me sideways otherwise. That makes perfect sense. Now, what's really funny is uh, when I was in junior high and high school, I used to go to bed around midnight or later. And the rock station would have Metallica Power Hour at midnight. And I would go to sleep listening to Metallica. Well, so... Maybe I'm a little messed up in the head, but you know. That's not the only evidence. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And speaking of distractions, block distractions by using noise to your advantage. You can use things like noise machines to create background noise that drowns out the other sounds in the room. This makes it where you are less likely to be disturbed by small sounds during the evening. It also helps to maintain consistency when traveling. I know that when I have traveled, I've had a really hard time, especially like in Vegas where it's so loud all the time and so light all the time, that's a pretty key thing. Yeah. My nieces use a sound machine. My sister started it when they were babies. And it's a little portable thing that they just take and plug in wherever they are. And it gives them that feel of being home and they fall asleep faster and easier no matter where they are. Speaking of that, When my daughter was really young, they told us not to do that with really small kids because of some kind of hearing thing. I think it may have just been babies, not like toddlers or whatever. Hmm. I don't know. That would be something to look into. Well, your nieces can hear well, so. Yeah, I'm not sure what age they started with on that. Now, another thing you could do is use a fan or an air purifier that could serve a dual function of cooling the room and making noise. Unless, of course, you have nightmares about computer fans. I've had some loud computer fans. Yeah, I know. And I have nightmares about editing those out of audio. So 
<laughs> An old box fan is a great and cheap way to get a noise machine. Yeah, I think those are just issued with certain apartments, aren't they? Because like everybody seems like they have one. Mm-hmm. Other options include apps on your phone that have things like rain and wind sounds. Basically, white noise can be useful, but it's not the only noise out there. Uh, there are actually other colored noises too. Brown and pink noises have less harsher tones. Used to use pink noise when studying because it would drown out people talking in the background, but it didn't have that harsh of the white noise. Interesting. I only really know about the brown noise from that South Park episode, and I don't think that's what it does. At least I hope not. Otherwise, it's really risky going to sleep with that. So next, you want to get yourself on a regular schedule. Yeah. Setting yourself up on a regular schedule will help your body to know when to get tired. Yeah, and this helps you fall asleep faster. Not keeping a regular schedule forces your body to constantly update its circadian rhythm, which it doesn't do all that fast. Once you adjust to a regular schedule, you'll find it's easier to fall asleep at the scheduled time. A full REM cycle is around 90 minutes long, as we stated earlier. You want to plan your schedule to allow you to wake up at the end of the cycle. You really don't want to wake up in stage three or four. The reason the suggested amount of sleep is seven to nine hours is because that gets you about five to six REM cycles. That also allows for some buffer time to fall asleep and to wake up. Right. You also want to plan about 30 minutes to an hour ahead of time to kind of start winding down. Yeah. I know like you usually read or you play music or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. I do my Russian practice, which is just audio. Yeah. And boy, that knocks you out quick. One thing that does not help is watching TV. And we're going to have a little bit more on that later. What you want to do is allow your mind and your body some time to relax before you try to go to sleep. Right. So listening to political commentary on the radio, probably not going to help. Right. Now, sunlight, especially certain wavelengths, has a major effect on your circadian rhythm. Not enough or too much light exposure disrupts your sleep cycle. It becomes harder to fall asleep and to stay awake. This becomes a problem for people working things like third shift or that live in areas that have times with very little light. Right. I had friends in Iceland that were talking about that. You know, during the summer, they had to have blackout curtains and had to be really careful about the amount of light they got or they wouldn't sleep. And the same thing was the reverse in the winter was trying to get light exposure so that it wasn't all screwed up. Mm -hmm. Exposure to light during the day, specifically the higher spectrums, will help you stay alert. White and since white has all the spectrums, but specifically blue light helps you with that. Computers and phones typically have a night mode that reduces blue light after certain hours. Those of us that are keen to color, it's annoying because all of a sudden everything looks red on your screen. Yeah. And some people it doesn't bother. Some people it bothers. It bothers me a lot. Yeah, I'm pretty mixed on it. I mean, I'm not really a designer type of person. So like if the colors are screwed up, I just keep going. Yeah. I think I got too comfortable with like crappy old CRTs for this to be an issue for me. But, you know, darkness will boost melatonin production. And that's, you know, the next part of the whole thing. Melatonin is a hormone that promotes sleep. And you can actually buy it at the store as well. Although you don't need to be using it like forever. 
darkness will increase the chance that you'll fall asleep because that's what we're wired to do is fall asleep when it's dark. It's sometimes difficult, but getting sunlight, even indirect, so like cloud covered during the day will help you sleep better at night. So even if you are inside all day long, you may have a job where you get up before the sun rises and you leave after it's the sun sets. If you go out a couple of times a day just for a few minutes and get some sunlight, some exposure to that light, that will help you stay awake throughout the day. Yeah, and you also should be really cautious about taking naps during the day. I don't do that very often unless I'm just completely toast, but I've noticed that when I do it, it really it's not good for me. Yeah. Now, notice we didn't say don't take naps. We just said be cautious when taking naps. I used to do this a lot where I would nap during the day. One of my favorite things about high school was I would get up pretty early in the morning, go to school, get out around 2, 2.30, go home, take a nap, get up, eat dinner, do whatever homework I had, go out with my friends, get back, go to bed around 1 or 2 in the morning, get up three or four hours later. I would get six to eight hours of sleep, but it would just be split into two. And that worked for me. Well, you know, during the medieval period, people did that too. Yeah. But it was in the middle of the night was when the split happened. Yeah. It's really easy to take a nap when you didn't sleep well the night before. Short naps during the day can help with alertness. And these tend to be 20 minutes or less in duration. Some people call them cat naps. Basically, you don't want to get past stages one and two of non-REM sleep. If you do sleep longer than 20 minutes, if you get into stage three, it's best to just go ahead and get a full 90-minute cycle. There's several studies, and we'll have links to these in the show notes, that indicate that napping for longer than two hours or more is related to poor nighttime sleeping. These same studies also found that napping later in the day reduced your ability to sleep at night. So now we're going to talk about some exercises that you can use to help you relax. Using meditation style exercises can help you when you need to relax. They allow you to quiet your mind. And a lot of times our bodies want to sleep, but our minds keep churning. And these type of exercises can help focus and calm the mind. Right. And they can also help relax the body. You'll hold tension for a long time after something stressful has happened. And relaxation exercises will help you release that. I know for a while there, I used to get in bed and completely tense all my muscles really, really tight and then let it go suddenly. That was hugely helpful. Following are a few techniques to help you relax and fall asleep faster. You can use one or all of them in a given night. And as Will's already stated, we have both found success with several of these or variations of combining them. The first we're going to talk about is focusing your attention on a story or an image to move away from intruding thoughts. Obviously, you want to start out in a comfortable position in your bed, close your eyes, relax your body, and visualize a memory, place, or story that you find relaxing. Your scene will probably be unique to you. Typically, when I do this, I'm in the mountains, in the woods, in a cabin, because I like that. But I'm also around a lot of people because I really like that, too. Though I will say this, I was at the dentist last week. Will and I didn't record because I had some dental work done on Thursday and my mouth was just hurting. But um, I was laying there. They put the nitrous on me. I get anxious at the dentist. I had bad experience as a kid. 
So I was laying there just trying to relax and I was listening to music and I just started visualizing myself at church behind the soundboard mixing the music I was listening to. And it was, <laughs> it was pretty cool. Like it's so funny to think of the soundboard at church as my happy place, but it kind of is. <laughs> you just want something that will allow you to focus and release other thoughts. And this will take a little bit of work. I mean, don't think you'll get there first, but just create the scene in your mind and visualize all the details as slowly as you possibly can and as thoroughly as you can. If your mind wanders, acknowledge the thought and then return to that scene in your mind. Like I said, this will take a bit of effort, but you'll get there. The next one is progressive relaxation. And this one's actually recommended by the National Sleep Foundation. This is what Will was alluding to. It's a variant of it was what he was talking about, but it involves slowly tensing and then relaxing each muscle or group of muscles in your body. This helps to relax and squeeze out tension in your body. It also gives you something to focus your mind on while you're doing it. So what you do is you tense each muscle group for about five seconds and then relax it for 30. Start with your toes and progressively move up to your head and neck. So you want to tense and then relax your toes. Tense, relax your feet. Tense, relax your lower legs. Tense, relax your upper legs. Then your abdomen, then your chest, then your fingers, hands, arms, shoulders, neck, head. And you sort of move up in that progression. One variant of this is to tense and relax all the muscles that you've tensed each time. This is the one that I use a lot, which is once you tense and relax your toes and move to your feet, you also tense your toes when you tense your feet and relax. Then when you move to your legs, you tense your toes, feet, and legs and relax. The variant that Will talked about was you tense your entire body and relax. So it's not progressive. It's just tense and relax. Now, another thing you need to do is to practice breathing exercises to ease the tension. Start by paying attention to your breathing and just notice what's going on there. Consider the air as it enters your nose or mouth and follow it with your mind down to your chest and feel your diaphragm expand. That's the muscle at the bottom of your rib cage. Experience it flow back out of your body. So just kind of follow the breath cycle around and then start looking for areas of your body that are tense. As you exhale, you'll allow the tension to release. That's the idea. With each breath in and out, the tension flows away. Now visualize your breath spreading beyond your lungs into the extremities of your body. If your mind wanders, let the thought flow, then redirect back to your breath. So a well-known technique for breathing is the 4-7-8 breathing method. It's a breathing pattern designed for relaxation. It can be done before going to bed or while in bed. Also, it can be used anytime that you feel stressed. As with most breathing techniques, the idea is to exhale slower than you inhale. It involves six simple steps. First, place the tip of your tongue behind your upper front teeth. Then exhale completely through your mouth, kind of making a <sighs> sound. Close your mouth and inhale through your nose while mentally counting to four. Hold your breath and mentally count to seven. Then open your mouth again and exhale completely, making the 
sound and mentally counting to eight while you do it. Repeat this at least three times. Another thing you can do as well, and I have not done this because it's just not really in my nature, but you could get a bottle of bubbles and actually blow bubbles before bed. That will focus you on your breathing. I would assume this is probably easier if you have kids because you're more likely to actually have bubbles in the house. I don't have kids, but I do have bubbles. That does not surprise me in the least. (laughs) I can just see you sitting there probably like blowing a bubble and just getting hypnotized and watching it float around. So that doesn't surprise me at all. (laughs) Well, I like bubbles. I mean, when I used to teach preschool, my favorite thing was the bubbles. You've got a big personality, Beach. I do have a big personality. That's true. That's true. That's just going to be the excuse for everything now. Yep. So with this, finally, it's a silly activity and that's going to lighten your mood. I put it at the end of these because it was kind of silly. When I read that, I was like, oh, that is cool. I'm going to try it. I mean, it's (laughs) one of those things, too, that's just wacky enough that it might actually work just because Mm -hmm. it's so weird and it's not what you would expect. Yeah, you do that. I mean, who doesn't smile when they're blowing bubbles? I don't know. Are there any Batman movies with a Joker, you know, blowing bubbles? I guess he's smiling all the time, though, so maybe it's not such a big deal. But is he smiling on the inside? It would be the Joker smiling. You would need to get Batman to smile while blowing bubbles. Yeah, especially one of the Batman that, you know, kind of talk like this. Talks like a redneck from McMenville. Hey, (laughs) yeah, move over, guys. I could be Batman, except Batman's got money. (laughs) So speaking of doing more with less... You might want, in some circumstances, to get more out of less sleep. So in order to reduce the amount of sleep you need, you have to make a plan and actually measure your habits. As we've mentioned before, you want to create a schedule for when you fall asleep and when you wake up. This will allow your body to get into a rhythm, and it makes it easier to both fall asleep and wake up on time. So Recently, we've been doing this event at my church every morning at 6 a.m. Well, I've been helping out with the AV stuff, so I get there at 5.30 in the morning, which means I get up at 4.30, except for the days that I go into the office where I get up at 5 a.m. Well, before doing this for the last three weeks, I would get up around 6.30 or 7, except for the days I went into the office where I got up like an hour earlier. This morning, I had to get up to go to the office, and it felt so nice not having to get up until five. Yeah. It was so easy because I'm already used to getting up that early that, you know, I woke up a little bit after four 30 was about four 40. I was like, I got 20 minutes. So I actually have to get out of bed. It's a good feeling, isn't it? It was really nice. So getting on that schedule is just, it's pretty sweet. The thing with this is it may not be the amount of sleep that you get per day that has the most effect. Look at the amount of sleep you get per week. And then find times in your schedule where you can catch up on sleep and fuel yourself for the times in the week that you don't. My mom does this. She works three 12-hour days in the middle of the week and drives about an hour to an hour and a half, depending on traffic, one way. Yeah. So she has like 14 to 15-hour days, three days a week. But then Friday comes around. Sometimes I would go visit her to like go get an early lunch or something. I get over to her house at 11 and she'd just be getting out of bed. Yep. You know, that's what she did. She caught up on her sleep on the days that she couldn't. And she had a good amount of sleep for the week. But during those days, she wasn't able to get as much. So she made up for it. 
Yeah. I mean, the body is kind of built to adjust to at least a certain amount of jitter in this. It's just, you do have to pay the sleep toll at some point. Right. And most of us do this on the weekends anyway. Plan for lighter days when you know you're going to get less sleep. Plan your most challenging and important tasks for days when you will be getting enough sleep. That's the other thing, too, is allocating your workload to match your sleep schedule. Right. That's a huge help. I don't plan a lot on Fridays just because I know I'm getting up extra early on Thursday and then I'm going to be up later because we're recording. And when I used to go into the office on Wednesdays, I would not plan much on Thursday because I knew, all right, I'm getting up early to go into the office. I'm going to be out all day. Then I'm going to go to church. Then I'm going to come home and work on the episode so that make sure everything gets published by Thursday morning. So sometimes I wouldn't get to bed until 12 or 1. So I just knew Thursdays, hey, I'm going to sleep in. I'm not going to get as much done until later in the day. You plan that way. Next, you want to reduce the amount of time you spend in the process of waking up each morning. So one thing you can do is to set your alarm clock to play music instead of like a harsh noise. Make it something you like or enjoy. This will excite you and give you kind of energy to start your day, though understand that you will associate that music with the alarm. I associate Electric Daisy Violin by Lindsey Sterling with my alarm. I still love that song, and it's still one of my favorites of hers. But whenever I hear it, I immediately look at my phone because I'm like, is my alarm going off? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, another option is to just move your alarm clock out of reach so that you have to get up to go mess with it. If you've got an alarm clock like mine, it has a remote control on it. You would have that. Yeah, but it's still like out of reach because it's on my wife's side of the bed anyway. Oh, nice. But I mean, that will help a lot. Now, I'll tell you one thing I've seen that I thought was really cool is a moving alarm. It's called a dog. Dude, my dog is so lazy. If it's before 8 a.m., which I get up most days before 8 a.m., I have to go and like get him out of bed to go walk him before I leave. He's like, just let me sleep. I literally walked him the other morning, came back in and was going to give him food and water, and he was already back in bed asleep. Your dog has stayed at my house, remember? Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I'm aware. (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) Yeah, he is so, so mellow. But no, they make alarm clocks with targets on them that pop up. And then you've got like a Nerf gun that you shoot at it. Yeah. Talk about a great way to wake up. That would be a lot of fun. That sounds horrifying, but okay. (laughs) Another thing you could do is drink coffee or tea right after you get up. This tends to alleviate some of the grogginess you feel in the mornings and helps to make the most out of your wake-up time. I have a ritual. I do too. I've been developing one. Yeah. I just get up and go. It's like it's my routine every morning. I get up and I make coffee. And I come to in the shower. And then when I get out of the shower, the coffee's made. I can go drink my coffee and do my stuff. Another thing you could do is get one of those machines that has a timer on it. Prepare your coffee the night before. And it goes off. My mom does this. She loves it because on those days that, you know, she has to leave the house at 430 in the morning, like she just sets it up the night before, doesn't think about it. She gets up and the coffee's made. That's my next step. I usually go and start the coffee and then walk the dogs and then come back in. Mm-hmm. And I usually get my Russian practice in or at least one of my sessions while the coffee's brewing and then drink like three cups of coffee in short order <laughs> so that I'm actually literate and then I can go work. And finally. Under this one, drink some water before you go to sleep. 
when you wake up, you'll have to go to the bathroom and that will make you get up. The thing is, you don't want to drink too much water because otherwise you'll have to get up in the middle of the night. It's a precarious balance there with that. Yeah, you have to kind of play it by ear. And if you follow the recommendation about cooling the room down, that also means the bathroom floor is really cold, which really wakes you up quick. (laughs) Yep, yep. I like that. That's good. That's good. That's good. That's experience right there, brother. All right. Lastly, under getting the most out of your sleep, you want to try to cut back the amount of time you spend falling asleep at night. So the first thing here, something we've mentioned a couple of times already, is avoid your phone, avoid computers immediately before going to bed. And I am the absolute worst about this. I can't tell you how much I love just sitting there playing on my phone right before bed, especially if I've had a busy day and I haven't gotten to like check Facebook in a while or I've just been like doing a lot and haven't like had my little playtime on my phone. I will just lay down in bed and play. I know I need to stop that. A lot of times screens have that night mode, but that doesn't always help. I think a lot of times the night mode is just to make it where it's not so bright that it wakes up everybody else in the room, but it doesn't cut the blue light. It's just a dimmer version of the screen. The other thing is Will and I both write late into the nights. When I was writing this episode was pretty late the other night. So I'll sit up and work on this and then go to bed. This is why I like to read or play music before I go to bed because it gives me a break from the screen before bedtime. Yeah. You also want to stop working and other stressful activities well before you go to bed. So try not to go to bed angry because you're going to be laying there getting angrier. Yeah. Don't think about work. You know, don't text about work. Don't deal with any of that kind of stuff. Honestly, don't do work in your bedroom. This is one that I kind of bend this rule a little bit sometimes, but not very often. You just don't want to have your bed associated with the feeling that you get from work. I'm usually writing, so I'm not like coding. So that's actually not so bad because I enjoy writing. I'll write poetry in bed, mainly because I've been doing that since I was in high school. So creative stuff is one thing. Really what you want to do is have your bed associated with sleep and not associated with work. Keep your bedroom as a place of relaxation. Some people have TVs in their bedrooms. I really don't like having a TV in my bedroom. I don't have one in mine. I like having that separation. It's one of the things I'm kind of peculiar about is I like having a place things. This, it may be why I don't like playing PC games because I like my office area to be about office stuff. And if I want to play games, I'll go to the living room. Yeah. Play on a, a console. That It's just I like having a place for things. Also, try to avoid caffeine and alcohol too close to bedtime. We're going to talk a little bit more about this in just a minute. So much for the uh, Jack and Coke to sleep. Yeah. Finally here, progressively work towards less sleep each night. Some people are just genetically disposed to need less sleep. They can survive on three to six hours of sleep per night, whereas the average person is seven to nine hours. I tend to fall into this category. I can go three to six hours for months at a time without a lot of negative. Like That's just my natural sleep. And then I'll have a weekend where all I'll do is sleep. Yeah, I'll sleep and read. It's a relaxing weekend. I've tried to balance that out and I'll just naturally tend to curve back towards three to six hours. Right around four really is where I tend to stay. Yeah, I'm probably closer to the seven hour mark myself. I think it's probably like six and a half, but on the upper end of that, there are a few steps you can take to slowly cut back on your sleep. You know, the first is, is to get up at the same time every morning, regardless. 
and this is really hard to do on the weekend. It's hard to justify, but yeah, it really will help a lot. If you get up at exactly the same time every day, you'll be able to kind of control the amount of sleep that you have to have just by that. Mm-hmm. Next for a week, wait to go to bed by 20 minutes. So once you've established that schedule, it doesn't mean like, all right, say like, this is my bedtime and then start cutting back. No, it's, this is my bedtime. This is my wake time. Do that for several weeks. So I've been doing it for about three weeks now and it's starting to really take a hold. And so do that for a while. Then for a week, go to bed 20 minutes later. And then the next week, add another 20. So make it 40 minutes later than your regular schedule. Third week, delay it by an hour. And then flip it and cut back on your wake up time. So get up 20 minutes earlier, 40 minutes earlier, an hour earlier. And just continue with these 20 minute increments week by week until you're sleeping about six hours a night. You're basically training yourself. I did something similar to this for a while when I was initially writing another book, part of which ended up in the one I just released. Yeah. I was getting up at four in the morning for this and I'd kind of walked my sleep schedule back just about like what you describe here. Mm -hmm. It definitely works. It was so easy to fall back out of that though. Oh, yes, it is. And it was so nice. (laughs) Yes, yes, it is. So the final major point we have is the obvious, but not so obvious. These are things that you know you should be doing, but you're probably not. The first one is one we've mentioned multiple times. So we're going to go through it kind of quickly. And that is don't use any electronics before you go to sleep. Although the Kindle is okay, as far as I can tell, right? It's not. The screens and the dopamine rush that you get are counterintuitive to sleep. You're watching TV, playing video games, mobile phones, social media, pointing at myself on that one, make it hard for you to fall and stay asleep. Unfortunately, a lot of us still use these devices right up to the time that we expect to fall asleep and then wonder why we're laying there awake in bed. Another thing you should be doing is exercising during the day. This will help improve your sleep at night. Moderately intense exercise will be the most beneficial to improving sleep. This is actually something I've noticed here recently because I've been lifting. Yeah. Every day I try to just do a little bit and my sleep quality is so much better now. Now, intense is a relative term. So it's relative to your ability. For some people, running five miles is intense. For some people, walking for 20 minutes is intense. Yeah. It doesn't mean working out until you pass out. Actually, excessive exercise has been linked to reduced quality of sleep. Yeah. I remember when I was overdoing it a lot. Yeah. Those days were pretty rough as far as the sleep cycle, just because you're sore. And also, I think it does some stuff to your hormones, too, that's not it does. positive. At a moderately intense level of exercise, your production of serotonin increases, which elevates your mood and boosts your sleep. It also reduces the amount of cortisol, which is a hormone related to stress. Most of us have seen the commercials. The time of day that you exercise also affects your sleep. This is one thing that I have learned and I'm actually going to be implementing starting next week. But earlier in the morning promotes better sleep than later in the evening. Interesting. I usually do my exercises now about 4 o'clock, 4.30 in the afternoon. See, that's still early enough to not really have that effect on your sleep. But if you did them first thing in the morning, I mean, your morning's probably pretty busy. But if you could do them first thing in the morning, you might actually see an improvement in your sleep quality. The idea here is exercise should energize you for your day. 
if you're exercising and then feeling so worn out you can't do anything, you're overdoing it. Yeah. Doing that every now and then, doing that to push yourself, doing that, you know, to test your limits is okay every now and then. Your regular exercise should energize you. You should come out of it maybe a little tired, a little sore, but feeling ready to go. Yeah. Like you can still actually run somewhere or pick up something. You don't want to be just completely mm-hmm. destroyed. And that was a mistake I made before when I used to really exercise heavy and the consequences were pretty rough. Speaking of rough consequences, don't drink alcohol or caffeine just before going to bed. A study published in 1994 concluded that alcohol can be relaxing and help you get to sleep. However, it's damaging to the sleep cycle once you're out. The end result is a choppy, restless night where you just can't stay asleep. You wake up more frequently than you normally would. This may also be to the fact that uh, alcohol is a diuret and it makes you have to go to the bathroom a lot. Yeah. Caffeine has the opposite effect, not the diuretic, but the sleep quality, the choppiness. It lengthens the second phase of your sleep cycle where your brain starts reorganizing itself and processing the day. This is really good for naps, but not so much for a night of deep sleep. Some people say, oh, well, I can drink a cup of coffee and go right to bed. Yeah, you probably can. Yeah, I can. You're not going to get that full REM cycle, you're going to stay mostly in stage two. You're not going to really get that restorative sleep. Next, try reading before bedtime. We've kind of hit at this a little bit. It helps you wind down. Studies show that reading before bed promotes longer and more refreshing sleep. Like the focus exercises, it gives your mind something to visualize. And also moving your eyes back and forth across the page can be a little bit hypnotic and relaxing. Now, you want to read actual paper books. The evidence from research shows that electronic books, even the ones that are like Kindle Paperwhite, still emit light that can reduce melatonin release, making it harder for you to fall asleep. Also, that sense of velicor from smelling a physical book is very calming. Velicor. He was in Harry Potter, right? Velicor. It means the nostalgia you get for bookshops. Ah, okay. I mean, I knew that had some kind of meaning. Also, you may want to adjust the position that you're in when you're asleep. Quality sleep may be influenced by your body position during the night. Most people believe that sleeping on your back is best. It's been the common knowledge for a while. However, that position tends to lead to blocked airways, sleep apnea, and snoring. I sleep on my stomach for that reason. According to research, the side position is linked to the highest quality sleep. It always jams up my shoulders when I do that, so I've never been able to do it successfully. Well, that's the thing. Position is an individual preference. You have to find one that works for you and for your body. Now, an interesting one that I'm a little unsure about, but I read it and I was like, you know, I'm going to put it in there, is to wear socks to bed when you sleep. A study published in the journal Nature found that warm feet and hands were the best predictors of falling asleep quickly. Now, in this study, participants placed hot water bottles on their feet, and the heat widened the blood vessels in the skin. This causes heat loss and cools the core body temperature. I'm iffy about this. I already overheat, and honestly, I usually keep one foot out under the covers. Yeah, because your body can regulate. Yeah. Another thing that's helpful is if you wake up in the night, get up and do something for 10 minutes. If you can't get back to sleep within 15 minutes or so, you know, actually getting out of bed and doing something will often help. 
this I mentioned earlier is what people tended to do in the medieval period when they didn't have all the lights and stuff. They had a really long night, especially like you think Northern England during the winter. Yeah. They're not going to sleep for 12 hours. They're going to get up in the middle of the night, do something and go back to bed. You want to find an activity that requires you both your hands and your head. Something like puzzles or coloring books are good for this. Definitely stay away from TVs and any other type of screens like your phone. Don't wake up and play on your phone. When I say this, it's one finger pointed out, three fingers pointed back, and a thumb pointed up. I don't know why the thumb's pointed up, but it just is. But yeah, I like, sorry, I'm trying to visualize <laughs> this now. You guys can't see Will. He's like making the hand motions too. You just kind of confused me. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking to myself here is what I'm getting at. We, we've talked about why that is an issue. The idea here is to not lie in bed without sleeping. You want your body to recognize that the bed is for sleeping. Otherwise, it can become a place for thinking, worrying, stressing. If you aren't sleeping, get up and do something. Now, finally, the most counterintuitive point we have, focus on staying awake. Yeah, on trying to. Yeah. If you try to force yourself to fall asleep, you're likely to focus on only not falling asleep. Instead, try something that's called paradoxical intention. This involves trying to stay awake instead of forcing yourself to sleep. The idea is that the stress of forcing yourself to fall asleep can prevent you from relaxing. And focusing on trying to stay awake may relieve the excessive sleep anxiety. So it gives you something else to focus on. Yeah. I mean, I can see that working just from experience in a deer stand, if nothing else. Yeah. So there's a sleep study at the University of Glasgow that was performed on sleep onset insomniacs. They were instructed to lay in bed and try to stay awake with their eyes open. It actually found that they fell asleep quicker than participants told to fall asleep without the paradoxical intention. You got to think of your brain like a rebellious teenager. You tell it not to do something and that's all it wants to do. Yeah, that explains a lot of classes and everything else, right? Yep. So guys. These are just some tips and tricks to help you get the most out of your sleep. When well-rested, we are able to do so much more during our waking hours. You may use some or all of these to improve your quality of rest. Now, we do want to point out here that we are not medical professionals. So if you are suffering from severe sleep issues or have not slept in several days, please seek help from a medical professional. That pretty much wraps us up. Before we close everything out, Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, I just want to highlight the value of having a little bit of savings, you know, kind of put back. So I've been out of work for two weeks now, and it really hasn't been all that stressful because I had enough savings to be able to kind of coast for a while. And so I'm able to be picky about jobs. And this is something that's really easy to forget, even if you're consciously putting money back in case of this kind of thing. It's been really nice. I've been able to just focus on getting the best job for myself instead of stressing out and going, okay, I've got two months until I can't pay the rent. It's really nice. And so I strongly suggest you do that just from recent experience. It's really valuable. So that's all I got. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. 
for references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.